Good morning, Third Good morning, Third Street. I'm sorry, bro. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to be with you all. Uh, if you guys don't know me, my name is Corey. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Third Street Community Church, the one that sets up sometimes. Um, and I, this morning, it is my distinct honor and privilege to be bringing forth the word of God to you all. We are in a series that is called The Heart of Third Street. This series means a whole lot uh, to us, actually. Uh, and so if you're, with a, if you're with me this morning, I need, I need to just know, I need a little bit of support this morning. Can I, can I just hear you say the heart? Can I hear it like God put breath in your lungs? Can you say the heart of Third Street? Why'd y'all die out? Why? I said the heart of Third Street. Yeah, y'all better pick it up today. You're going to have a hard time hanging with me if that's the best effort we got in the building. This series uh, is, a, is a testimony uh, to me that sometimes things change, right? We had, we had a, a different thing planned for this time of year a while ago. And then at the top of the year, as we all sat in a staff meeting and we were having a conversation about what the Lord has been uh, speaking to us individually on and then coming together on some of those things, we realized that all of us had shared a story from the, the, the line of David. All of us had shared something that God was re revealing to us from the life of David. And so at that point, we realized, well, if it's for you and it's for me and it's for this room, odds are it's, it's for this room too. And so we put together an opportunity for each of us to be able to share what the Lord was putting on our hearts from the stories of D David, specifically connecting these lessons to who the Lord wants us as a church to be. And so this week, I invite you to turn in your physical Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel. That is in the Old Testament. That is where we find the character of David. Uh, we will be going to the very first chapter. So just find 2 Samuel and you're already there. Uh, we're going to drop down to the 17th verse to start. If you don't have your physical Bibles with you, that's okay. There's no need this morning to feel the need to, to the, the courage to fight off the temptation of the devil to stay off of your text messages, your, your uh, sports betting apps, your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever the heck else is out there that I'm too old to even know about anymore. Whatever it is, you don't need to worry about it because we got it up here on the screen for you. This is 2 Samuel chapter 1. Verse 17 is just now occurring to me that I may have given the wrong scripture. So I have it right right here. So I'm going to read it to you. I will give you a faithful telling. Forget all the stuff that I said about the screens. Okay. Second Samuel chapter one. Oh, my goodness. Shout out to Hannah. She's on it. 2 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 17, says this, David sang the following lament for Saul and his son Jonathan. And he ordered that the Judites be taught the song of the bow. It is written in the book of Jashar. The splendor of Israel lies slain on your heights. How the mighty have fallen. 
Do not tell it in Goth. Don't announce it in the marketplaces of Ashkelon. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice and the daughters of the uncircumcised will celebrate. Mountains of Gilboa, let no dew or rain be on you or fields of, of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul, no longer anointed with oil. Jonathan's bow never retreated. Saul's sword never returned unstained from the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty. Saul and Jonathan loved and delightful. They were not parted in life or in death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxurious things, who decked your garments with gold ornaments. How the mighty have fallen in the thick of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were such a friend to me. Your love for me was more wondrous than the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. One might read this text, dangers, casual reading. One might read this text and think, what a beautiful tribute. What lovely words written in poetic form, though we can't appreciate it in our English translations, the beauty of Hebrew poetry, specifically coming from the heart of one brother towards another, one friend towards another. How beautiful this tribute is. That, that is, of course, until you realize the true context in which David shares this song of lament. When you realize the full story that David was, was called out amongst his brothers, that, that when Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse and told to gather all of Jesse's sons, for one was going to be anointed the king of Israel, and Jesse got all of his sons but one. David was still out in the field with the sheep because who could possibly think that David would be the one that was, that was anointed? And yet from the fields, from amidst the sheep, from among his brothers, he was God's chosen anointed one to become king. David, as a small, pretty shepherd, would go on to lead Israel to some of the most inexplicable military battles in their history. David was on his rightful ascent as so chosen by God to be king over God's chosen people, the people of Israel. And yet there was one man, one thing, one position that still stood in his way. And it was the very person, Saul, that he laments in this song right here. It was Saul that heard of David's anointing. And as the current king decided, I ain't going quietly. He's coming from my seat. He thinks God told him that he belongs where I feel like I belong. No, it's not going to go down that way. Somebody needs to go capture him. Somebody needs to go capture him, keep him hidden, bring him to me, and I'm going to take care of this myself. And for nearly a decade, 
David spent his life on the run from King Saul, whose pride, his ego, and his position got in the way of recognizing God's anointing on David's life. It got in the way of him recognizing his own anointing too, but I'll talk about that in a little bit. And for nearly a decade, David runs for his life away from the one person who fails to recognize the anointing on his life. And then, while he's still living life on the road, with no safe place to call his home, with no safe place to lie his head, David receives the news on the road that King Saul is dead. It's over. David, who once feared for his life and cried out for God to just end it all, was now safe because the most major threat to his own anointing and his own rightful place in the kingdom was gone. David even had his own opportunities to kill Saul twice. He had an opportunity to end it himself, but he didn't. Why not? David was anointed by God. He was promised a position that Saul was holding up. He had a calling on his life, and it seemed like the only thing that was delaying David's ascent was the empty pride of this king right here. Why not take him out? And instead, David chooses out of miraculous faith that, that, that seems so unattainable to us, he decides to let him live. And now, here is David far, far, far away. That's what the beginning of chapter, chapter 1 tells us. David is far away from the battle that Saul is entrenched in. He's nowhere near Saul's fate. He's got nothing to do with whatever battle Saul was fighting. And that's the battle that ends Saul's life. While David is far away, it's significant. The point of acknowledging how far away David is when this happens is to illustrate the fact that David's enemy, that Saul, the one who stood in the way of David's ascent, that David was nowhere near this man's demise. He was so far away that the argument can't even feasibly be made that David had anything to do with Saul's death. God kept David's hands clean. David chose to trust God without taking matters into his own hands. Without, without taking matters into his own hands and going as far as to sin himself in order to just go ahead and jump to the inevitable conclusion at the end, the rightful conclusion. And God sees that faith and keeps David's hands clean as the path is cleared for David to take his rightful place as king of Israel. I have three things that I want to tell you this morning I might only get to two of them, just warning you now. So, you know, in your notes, just pretend like I meant it to be that way. The first thing that I want to point out is this. Trust God, and he will keep your hands clean. Trust God with whatever fulfillment you are waiting on, and there will be no need 
for you to get your hands dirty. Trust God with how it all shakes out for the good of those who believe. And there will be no need to pick sides in war. Because the blood will be kept away from you. See, when we trust God with our calling, when we trust God with our promises, when we trust God with, with, with our timing, he will protect us and provide for us without us having even to stoop to the levels that the world stoops, toward, stoops to to obtain victory. Ah, but, but let's just call it out. Let's just call it out. I can, I can feel the silence in the room and it's still too early for me, if, for me to have completely lost you. So, so I know that that silence speaks to what you must be feeling, which is the idea that some of us can't help ourselves. Some of us can't help ourselves but to get our hands just a little bit dirty. It ain't moving fast enough. Who are you, great mountain God? God anointed me and so I'm gonna go ahead and start digging this mountain up. I'm going to go ahead and start shoving this mountain myself because I'm God. God has a promise over my life. God has an anointing over my life. And so I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to start shoving this mountain. But God never told you to do that. Some of us can't help ourselves. We see the person who just dead wrong. You're dead wrong. The things that they're saying on social media is so foul. We can't help ourselves. We got to jump in the little comment section. Even when the person is dead wrong, we just, we can't, we can't keep scrolling. We can't, we can't just trust the spirit to reveal it to him later. We got to jump in, don't we? We can't help ourselves. I know some of us well enough to know that some of us only got one more time in us. You know what I'm saying? Pastor, I only got one more. They got one more. This person in my job's got one more time pushing me. One more time looking crazy at me. One more time doing that foul thing at their job, getting in my way, and I'm going to lose it. One more time, and his hand's going to go from praying to laying. <laughs> One more time, as a great prophet once said, try Jesus. Not me. They only got one more time, Pastor. I only got one more time. I know some of us want to want to be out here, want to talk about, well, they're, they're, they're playing dirty. They're out here speaking the righteous game while they're actively being hypocritical behind the scenes. And, and, if, and if somebody, I just feel like it's my job, like somebody needs to step up and expose it. Somebody needs to step up and call it out. Somebody needs to be the one to be like, they're in air. They're messing up. They're falling up. The people need to know. Church, the, the first lesson that I hope we take from this instance of David's life is that we've got to be the church that sees the opportunity to get our hands dirty and chooses to trust God instead. We've got to be the church that, that sees the way that the world's fighting and we choose to be godly instead. Now, I don't want you to get it twisted because... This is a tough season right now, and I recognize what we're in. I'm not, I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying that there's never a time to speak up. I'm not saying that there's never a time to, to, to have to be firm and to rebuke the enemy, but 
What I am saying is that Scripture tells us to, to stand firm, not to go looking for blood. Scripture tells us to stand firm, not to run away. Scripture says to stand firm, don't become the aggressor. Scripture says to stand firm, don't let fear be the deciding factor. Scripture says to stand firm. Notice that even while he was on the run, David never denied or shut up about God's promises. David just chose not to engage a battle that wasn't his to execute. He recognized that even greater than Saul's sin against himself was Saul's sin against God. And that battle feels like it's got nothing to do with me. David recognized this battle was between Saul and God and they were going to have to work it out. And I'm going to have to stay up out of the way. Going back, to, going back to the scripture we talked about last week, Pastor KT brought with, with David and Goliath. We got to be the church that, that doesn't pick up the weapons and the battles that the world chooses for us. Everybody's got an opinion telling you what you should care about. And everybody's got an opinion on which weapon you should take into that battle. When it comes to David and Goliath, man, KT laid it out last week. He could have picked up a sword and gone hand to hand. He could have picked up a bow and gone mid-range. But David picks up a sling. Why does he pick up a sling? Because he's got faith in God. See, he knows that God's law says, who who stands against and blasphemes the name of the Lord must be stoned and put to death. To death. He knew that, the, that those five stones would work because God said it a long time ago. He took only what God had equipped him with into battle and he saw it victorious. He did not pick up the ways of the world. He picked up the ways of the Lord and trusted that he was coming through. Scripture reminds us that vengeance and justice belongs to God, not our own hands. When we trust the Lord with our enemies, when we trust the Lord with our promotion, when we trust the Lord with our anointing, he will clear the way without us having to get blood on your hands. So put the key. He bore down in the name of Jesus. Which brings me then to what was David's response? David's response to learning that the main villain in his story had died was not to rejoice in victory. Isn't that crazy? Like most, most movies end when the villain dies. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the whole point. Like we live the whole two hours or Marvel movies, three hours or, you know, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter movies, nine hours. Like we, we, we live this whole time to see Voldemort go down. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so it, what, after the climax, what should have been like the resolution, like the nice soft music comes in and you just get this uh, sigh of relief of like, okay, Whoo! Hey, whoo! Hey, no more sleeping in caves, huh? Yeah, no more running and going town to town, huh? Yeah, there's a nice little pillow waiting for me tonight. It's in the palace. Oh, I'm the king of Israel now. Ha! It's none of that. He doesn't feel none of that. I would. He doesn't. He doesn't celebrate the removing of an obstacle because he. He recognized that tied to that obstacle is a person who's an image bearer just like he is. 
David doesn't even so much as breathe a sigh of relief. Rather, in fact, David, David even tells other people to keep it quiet. Because he's like, other people who don't understand the situation, other people who, like, like, this is family talk right now, and other people who are not in this family, other people who don't understand the intimate, weird, convoluted little details of this situation, they're going to celebrate over this, right? People are going to, to, to praise Saul's demise. People are going to celebrate. They're going to have parties and festivals. And you know what? That's not godly. There's not a one of us that should celebrate the death of another human. And he says it, he says it, he's like, he's like don't tell them because they're going to go praise and I don't want them to go praise over this. Don't tell it because they're going to celebrate in the streets and I don't want anyone celebrating the death of another. Instead, David is drawn into sadness. He's drawn to mourn. And he's a lot more creative than I am. And so he writes a song. I wish that was my productive outlet. I wish I knew what my productive outlet was. <laughs> David writes a song and he teaches it to others, but he teaches it to others not to get his song to win a Grammy. He teaches it to others to, to teach them how to appropriately view the situation. And what he lays out in his writing and his song is he's, he speaks so highly of Saul. When you look back at 2 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 17, when you look back at it, you, you get this picture of Saul. If that's all you ever read, you'd be like, what a great warrior. What a great king. What a great man Saul was, because that's what David wrote about. Even as he was actively on the run from Saul, he wrote about how great Saul was. And here's, here's what's truly mind-blowing about, about this to me, right? Is that he, he post-death speaks highly of Saul without lying. He didn't lie. You know what I'm talking about. You know how people get when people die. Suddenly, all of a sudden, everybody had a great experience with this person. Suddenly, he was everybody's beloved. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Saul. Saul. I love Saul. I was just with him the other day. So we, he was just telling me a joke down at the convenience store. He was just telling me that we were just kicking it. And it was super funny. It wasn't offensive at all. But he was able to speak highly of the dead without even lying. He, did, he didn't lie because he didn't have to lie. It's, it's interesting to me that even in this writing and all throughout all throughout David's writings, he refers to Saul as the anointed one. If I were to stand up here and talk about the anointed king of Israel, who would you all think I'm talking about? David. But David himself refers to Saul as the anointed one because he recognized that once upon a time before David was even a thought in this community, Saul was the chosen one of God to lead the people of Israel. Saul was the one that, that God raised up. And he remembers the great things that God did through Saul's life. He remembers the victories that Israel was able to accomplish because God allowed the God, because Saul allowed the God of the universe to move in through him. David recognizes the accomplishments and the victories that Saul was specifically set apart by God for. 
And David recognizes that the tragedy in Saul's death is that someone who carried such an anointing fell away from God and God's protection and God's favor because of his own pride. Even in death and the clearing of David's path to be king, David chooses to see the image of God in Saul. He chooses to see what used to be, what was true when Saul let God use him. He chooses to see what could have been had Saul not gone off the deep end. He he chooses to acknowledge what God wanted to have been. Second thing that I want to call us to, call us up to as a church, is that we are the church that honors the image of God in everyone. Yeah, I knew it was going to get super quiet right there. Because the word everyone is not just this like casual superlative. But if David can see it in Saul, if David can run for a decade from somebody who was trying to keep him from something that he didn't even choose, but God chose for him, You can see it in whoever just came to your mind when I said everyone. You choose to honor the image of God in everyone. What's crazy to me in saying that is we can't even do it with the athletes who play for our rival team. We talk about them like dogs. Heck, I'm sitting in a room full of Cleveland sports fans. Y'all can't even say it about your own team. Y'all can't see the God in your own people. It is tough because it's true. Don't worry, I'm not pulling up nobody's tweets about, you know, Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., Deshaun Watson. I I ain't going back in your histories. Just know, I know, you know, God knows, we know. (laughs) We can't even do it with professional athletes we've never interacted with. David did it with someone that he was actively running from because he was trying to kill him. He saw what God saw in Saul. It's easy for us to do. We often lose sight of the fact that all people were made to reflect the image of God. We lose sight of it. And when we lose sight of the Imago Dei, when we lose sight of the fact that God created every human being to be some form of reflection of him, when we lose sight of that, we dehumanize folks. We lose sight of people being a God-ordained creation that the Lord has beautiful intentions for. And that gives us permission to say whatever we want about them. But I aspire for us to the heart of David in this instance. When we see people who have gone astray, when we see people who have taken the wrong path, if we are to follow David's example, it should move us to mourn, to be sad for the loss of another image bearer who never 
chose or got to live into the fullness of what God had for them. Because that's the way God sees it. We honor the God in everyone. We have to remember remember the things that that they did when they were right with God because that's, that's who they were created to be. We acknowledge the beauty of what God created. Man, he was mean and he never found Jesus, but hey, he was pretty funny sometimes though, wasn't he? God did that. God did that. And we mourn that it didn't get a chance to continue that it never got its chance to reach fullness, that it never got its chance to to really reach the amount of people it could have, to do the kingdom work that it should have. That should make us sad. And in every discussion, in every tension, in every obstacle, my encouragement for this church is to stop being people who pick sides and then go to battle, but to honor the Imago Dei in everyone, to honor the image of God and to trust God with the process that keeps the blood off of our hands. Shouldn't choose a side in war. You should choose peace. We shouldn't be rooting for the destruction of a people group. We should be moving towards peace. We shouldn't be taking active steps to take away things from people that we don't think deserves them. We should be choosing to see what God sees in them. And that's really hard. And there's a lot of directions you can take what I just said and make it evil. Pop off, have fun. But you'll find that what I'm saying is rooted in the character of God and is evidenced in the person of Jesus later on. I want to say one more thing before I get out of your way. And it's to go back to the fact that Saul, or that David continuously referred to Saul as the anointed one, even though he was the new anointed one. He continuously went back to that because here's a key reality we need to grab hold of. It was Saul that changed, not the anointing. Somebody in this room needs to acknowledge that it was Saul that changed not God's mind. It was Saul's behavior that spiraled, not God's control. It was Saul who chose to live by the sword, thus dying by the sword, not God who got bored with him and threw him away when he found a younger, more compact size, prettier one. It was Saul's hubris. It was his pride. It was his greed. It was his desire for control 
It was idolatry. The moment he put his crown first before the one who gave it to him. That's what got in the way of Saul actively living out his anointing. God didn't remove his protection from Saul. God didn't remove his favor from Saul. Saul actively chose to step outside of it. And God is not obligated to bless or ordain what he did not order. God didn't give up on Saul. God didn't get bored with Saul. Saul stepped out of his covering. Saul stepped out of his, his calling. Saul stepped out of his anointing. Saul stepped out of his covering and found out it rains. Blood. And this world is tough and cold and hot at the same time. It's crazy out there. Similarly for David, it took a long time. Some estimate it was over 15 years from the time that Samuel anointed, Saul, or anointed David in a field before David ever elevated to the position that he was promised back then. 15 years. Let me ask you, are you still waiting? Are you still waiting? Or have you long given up on what you felt God call you to a while ago? Because it didn't happen immediate enough. Because there were a lot of obstacles in a way. It was a couple of Saul's trying to kill you if you stepped out on it. So you said you must have, you convinced yourself you must have heard God wrong. And so you went another way. But see, David didn't do that. He had the faith to say, nah, man, there was a lot of us there. We heard what God has said. God said that I'm destined for this. And so I don't know what it looks like, and this is really hard, and it's not even necessarily something I chose for myself, but I'm going to see it through because that's what God said. And it took 15 years. But you know what? The anointing never changed. The anointing on David's life never changed. There was a giant that stood on the ground to worship that David would once upon a time bless and said, this is mine now. And the anointing on David's life didn't change. There was a king who sat where David was going to sit and said, not only are you not going to sit here, but I'm not even going to let you con con continue to breathe. And the anointing on David's life never changed. There was a people who loved David, then hated David, then loved David, then hated David, then loved David, then hated David. They shouted Hosanna, then they shouted crucify him. Oh, wait, I'm mixing up stories. And the anointing on David's life never changed. The anointing doesn't change. You, I'm talking to you. Oh, he must be talking to them. KT, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. You have an anointing on your life. You have a calling on your life. Somebody went through some stuff to get here this morning just to hear me say that part right there. You have a calling on your life. You are chosen for a specific purpose and that has never changed. The circumstances that you're sitting in, man, they get steeper every moment it feels like, don't they? The difficulty of this life 
the fallenness of this world? Is there any hope anymore? But your anointing has never changed. Your calling has never changed. God's intention with your life has never changed. God is not losing sight of you. Somebody here this morning came here lacking hope. The one bit of hope I want to give you in this tough message this morning is that you are not without hope, that God has not lost track of you, that God has not gotten bored with you, that you aren't so far God that gone that God has moved on from you, that God hasn't set you apart for destruction. God has not set you apart for depression. God has not set you apart from death, but by the grace and mercy of his son, Jesus Christ, he has saved you from those things. He's redeeming you from those things. And that's not to say we won't go through those things because they're almost guaranteed. But by the power of Jesus, he tells us to take heart for he has already overcome it. And so shall you. If Jesus got up from the grave, you will get up from this too. You have reason to hope because God's anointing on your life has never changed. God is not losing sight of you. God has not given up on you. God has beautiful intentions for you. He has a plan to bring you up, to bring you out right from where you currently sit. Church, this is where we have to heed the wisdom we receive in the life of David, specifically in his mourning of his enemy's death. We have to be the church that trusts God and keeps our hands clean. We have to be the church that chooses to honor the image of God in everyone. That's good news to this community. That's good news to the world. We have to be the church that has enough faith, just enough faith to believe that what God has set us apart for has never changed and will never change, but rather he will continuously, some might say relentlessly, pursue our well-being and our elevation, our promotion, whatever that means in his perfect and beautiful design. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you know each and every one of us. Father, we thank you that while we are not at a loss for anyone to tell us how we should be living, we thank you that what you have ordained, that what you have decided, that what you have communicated is perfect. Lord, we want to ask for forgiveness this morning for the ways that our own pride has stood in the way of the fulfillment of our anointing, of our calling, of our promotion. 
want to repent for the ways that our needed now desires of 21st century America have gotten in the way of building patience and perseverance and endurance in the name of Jesus. But we want to repent and ask for forgiveness for the blood and dirt that's been put on our hands for the ways that we've taken things into our own actions. And Lord, we pray that what you will replace it with is our daily bread. We ask that you give us the faith that we need to choose you today. We ask for the faith that we need to believe you today. We acknowledge that tomorrow's got problems of its own. And so we pray relentlessly, Father, for the confidence and the endurance, the peace, the patience that we need for today. Father, we pray that you would give our hearts the faith to believe what our eyes cannot see. Lord, we praise you as we anxiously await the day that our current mountain becomes our testimony. We pray these things in Jesus' name.